At Henson, we're looking forward to the holidays, and that means more time in the kitchen. Now, imagine your trusty kitchen knife had a wobbly handle. You'd be nervous. Well, the same is true in shaving. Most razors on the market today don't support the blades well enough, allowing them to flex and bend. This is a source of razor burn. At Henson, we used our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to solve this problem, supporting the blade so you can use it confidently. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. It's the Custard TV podcast, the podcast for TV fans by three TV obsessives. Your obsessive this week are myself, Luke, hello, Matt in the northern area. Hello. And uh, Paul Hirons from The Killing Times is back again. Hello. <laughs> hello, Luke. Hello, Matt. How you doing? Thanks for having me back. Pleasure. Did you watch much over Christmas at all? I did, actually. I surprised myself. Uh, Christmas was fairly quiet for one reason or another this year, so I found myself watching quite a lot of telly. And um, from what I watched, I actually really enjoyed it. I loved uh, A Christmas Carol. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. I watched a lot of, I think it was called The Last Igloo on BBC4 on Christmas Eve, um, which I really enjoyed. Somewhere in somewhere very snowy in Scandinavia, and uh, it was kind of delivering the post or something like that. And it, it was just like a guy on a sled for three hours just kind of traveling through the wilderness which sounds the dullest thing in the world, but it was actually like really zen. And in, the, in, in among all the carnage and chaos of Christmas, that was just like the perfect antidote. It, just an Eskimo bloke making an igloo in, I can't remember where it was. was it, where was it? Anyway, wherever. Somewhere igloo and eskimo and uh, that was really good. But the one thing that I really enjoyed that I wasn't expecting to was Wurzel Gummidge. I absolutely loved it. It was. I didn't see it in the end, but I saw a lot of people saying that it was lovely and, and cosy and really special. Yeah. But yeah, it was lovely. Absolutely lovely. And I watched all three of those and loved every minute of it. And that, So that was my unexpected Christmas treat. And if BBC4 are listening, I'd love one of those slow <laughs> things following my postman around. <laughs> it didn't come till like 4.30 the other day. I don't know what he's messing about at. I would love just somebody to follow him around for my benefit. Maybe so, there is a slow TV uh, series or programme that lasts about eight hours by the sound of it. From, from I don't know what he was doing. Yeah. The Last Postman or something. Yeah. 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 Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. The website, The Killing Times. Yes. TV.wordpress.com released their 20 crime dramas of the year. Yes, go on. Well, your number one is a show that we actually discussed together on your first appearance on the podcast. Yeah. Which is Gimme yeah. Haji, which you said had everything you should love, but you didn't love it, but then you persevered with it, and I'm guessing it turned into something special for you. Oh, God, did it ever. And I really wasn't expecting it. And I felt like a bit of a knob, to be honest with you, not for the first time. But after talking to you guys, and we... we you know, exactly as you said, the first two episodes were like, okay, I should be really loving this, and I'm not quite there with it because the British characters are quite annoying and the Japanese characters are really amazing. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's not quite there. Uh, and then certainly by the end of episode four, which was one of the more incredible hours of drama I've ever seen, it was like, oh, this is actually really good seriously good and the penny kind of dropped actually um it was like right okay i know what this is now this is basically a graphic novel turned into a tv series so the characters are 
larger than life. They are kind of almost pastiche and cartoonish because that's that's what it is. It is like a, a Japanese anime or manga series played out as a serious crime drama. And just when you thought you had a handle of it, it would go somewhere else. Um, mm. Like towards the end of the series, it went kind of back to Japan. And I have not seen anything as exciting or bold uh, and as adventurous, I think, not just in the crime drama genre, but in drama full stop for a long, long time. So, yeah, from from kind of sort of a lukewarm, it really should be brilliant, but it's not. Uh, oh, my God, this is brilliant. Does this mean you also changed your opinion on Danny Dyer's game show, The Wall? Funny enough, I didn't do that, no. <laughs> that wasn't quite so bold or adventurous. <laughs> or, in fact, any good, I think. All right, then. So on the podcast today, we've got a couple of crime dramas to discuss. One is a true-life story from ITV. It's called White House Farm. And the other is a four-part tenth thriller uh, starring David Tennant and Chris Jumbo. That's called Deadwater Fell on Friday Nights. I'd like to start with Deadwater Fell because Paul and I were at that screening. Did you watch it again for the purposes of the podcast or just for your, for yourself? A uh, bit, bit of both, actually. Um, I wanted, you know, it was a good... Well, when did we see it? Before Christmas, wasn't it? And yes. um, So I wanted to, you know, I was writing a review of it for the site, so I needed to kind of refresh my memory. And I also wanted to see whether it had the same kind of impact that it did. Because mm, there's always uh, that screening effect. Because you're yeah. seeing something in a different environment and you know you're seeing it first with the cast and with a lot yeah. of other journalists. There can be that sort of, this is really exciting. And then when you watch it at home, you don't feel that same no, pang that you do. Oh, no, I agree. Because watching anything on a big screen, it kind of slaps you about the face a little bit. And certainly dead water fell. When the, when the lights came up at the end of that first episode... I remember looking around and there were some seriously traumatised people in that room. <laughs> and also, I'm a bit of a geek and I like to see the uh, how things were constructed and what they were trying to mm. do. Do you know what I mean? How, especially crime dramas where, you know, plotting and all that kind of stuff is really, really important. Just the basics then. This is about um, a tight-knit Scottish community. GP, played by David Tennant, and his teacher wife have... This idyllic lifestyle with their three daughters. They're very close to Chris Jumbo, who plays Tennant's wife's teacher colleague, and uh, a policeman who's married to her, played by Matthew McNulty. They're awoken in the middle of the night with a house ablaze, and it would seem that David Tennant's family's house is on fire. The um, mother and the three daughters die as a result of this. David Tennant is pulled free, and then it's a... Was this a deliberate act? They appear to all be injected with, with a substance. Did Anna Maidley, who played David Tennant's wife, Anna, was she struggling with depression and other things and just putting on a brave face? And were the couple as uh, perfect as they appeared initially? And so it's a really well-constructed thriller from that point of view and really interesting. Matt, what were your views? You didn't see it at the screening. You saw no. it. Sat at the computer like a lonely nerd. What did you think? <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> I just had a feeling. I don't know what yeah. it was. No, I, I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, Channel 4 have been trailering this quite heavily over Christmas. Mm. Um, I somehow ended up watching a lot of Channel 4, so um, I feel like I've seen the trailer. But I think it's one that didn't give a lot away, which is good. It held my attention, definitely. You know, there's that mystery there. They, they brought in another sort of twist uh, towards the end, didn't they? Uh, uh, the uh, relationship between the Kush Jumbo and David Tennant characters. Yeah. Um, the going back and forward through time, I don't know how you felt about it because the, the opening scene was revealed to be sort of out of the timeline at the yeah, end. Yeah, sort of niggled at me a little bit. That's my yeah. bugbear, as you know. But, no, yeah. I, I liked how early on they established sort of the closeness of this community and how a sort of a tragedy like that would affect it. You know, they had this opening scene where it was sort of getting ready for a bike race that was coming through the village. And, and I liked all of that sort of establishing some sort of community and then the effect of this tragedy, you know, everyone sitting around sort of theorising about what had happened and things like that. And I'm assuming sort of more skeletons will be coming out of the closet mm. as it goes on. 
So you're going to continue watching it? Oh yeah, definitely. I probably would have watched more had I not been. Ta- I wanted to just watch the first one to talk about with you, so I didn't sort of let anything slip. In terms of um, crime drama, is is this plotted well, Paul? You you watch these almost exclusively. How how do you feel this <laughs> was plotted? Um, well, yeah, apart from Wurzel Gummidge, even then I was looking out for plots and twists in that that just didn't come. <laughs> Wurzel turns evil. Yeah. yeah, that could be something. You might be onto something there, actually. Matt was talking about, uh, you know, kind of slight jumps in timeline and flashbacks and flash forwards and all this and all that, which I agree with Luke can get a bit too much if it's not handled well, because too many can start to kind of confuse things and just be annoying, frankly. But I thought they did a good job. Um, they did a lot of foreshadowing, which is this literary device where they kind of set things up to tell you that, and I'm doing the inverted commas, uh, something bad is going to happen. And, of course, we mm. saw that straight away. With There was a car crash, which I think made everyone in the in the cinema room completely jump out of their skin. If there was a, a metaphor in microcosm for this, this programme, I think that opening scene was absolutely it, because you've got a car driving through this beautiful Scottish scenery, right, this amazing landscape, and then out of nowhere it just kind of, spins and flips out you know and totals itself and it's like well that's it isn't it it's all about this kind of picture perfect community beautiful village and then this horrific tragedy so they did a lot of that did a lot of i don't know whether it's too much or not of in in terms of kind of like going this look at this everyone this is the perfect life look they're all yeah. holding hands they're all going down the beach they're all getting barn dancing they're all barn dancing because which perfect community doesn't have barn dancing? <laughs> yeah, so that was that was interesting, and then of course it was you know I think I think the actual tragedy, the fire, was not when I say nicely done, but what I mean is it was well choreographed in terms of mm, impact. Yeah, effective in its impact because you were really left reeling after that because it was such a. A hardcore five minutes and I guess all that foreshadowing of all the bar dancing and getting drunk and you know laughing and joking and beautiful scenery you know it was the stark contrast to that something absolutely terrible happened it was terrifying the end of that first episode it's actually I kind of thought actually it was really quite a straightforward I mean, who knows where it's going to go? And what I mean yeah. is it, it's got domestic noir written all over this kind of subgenre, certainly in crime fiction at the moment where people have got the perfect lives and they see something or something happens to them that kind of throws them into complete turmoil uh, and they have to sort of work things out. And it's got that kind of, uh, you know, girl on a train sort of whiff about it. You know what I mean? I think I often bemoan things that have got this big tragedy at the centre, but they don't do enough beforehand to set who these people are up and I think she's done a yeah. really good job of, of letting you know as you say who they are what they yeah. stand for and they're standing within the community and that's all you need to really feel empathy about their situation if this had started with the fire and we didn't know who David Tennant and Anna no. Laidley's characters were right. then it wouldn't have had the impact no it had for me and also the the immediate aftermath of the fire, the uh, the scene in the school and that was horrible. Uh, that was really horrible. That scene. I in think, the think actually the headmaster who gave a speech about uh, tried to explain to the children why two of their uh, classmates weren't there anymore was actually it was it was the most amazing description of mm. death to young children I think I've ever heard actually it was just a really beautiful way of trying to explain to the children what had happened had an authenticity didn't it to it yeah everything that lives has its time on this planet all the animals all the flowers all the people We all have time to do the things we like doing, like laughing and dancing and playing with our friends. Most people get lots and lots of time, but sometimes people only get a little bit of time. 
last night something very sad happened. And I know it's very hard to understand. Charlotte and Iris and Emily may not be with us anymore. But they're all together with their mummy now. Mark Minotta's character... Uh, um, Steve. Yeah, the, the copper Steve. in... The- At Henson, we're looking forward to the holidays, and that means more time in the kitchen. Now, imagine your trusty kitchen knife had a wobbly handle. You'd be nervous. Well, the same is true in shaving. Most razors on the market today don't support the blades well enough, allowing them to flex and bend. This is a source of razor burn. At Henson, we used our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to solve this problem, supporting the blade so you can use it confidently. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. And that was really touching as well, because he, he was trying to do his job and investigate this case, which initially looked like a horrible accident uh, or even arson. But as suddenly he's realizing as he's watching CCTV footage and talking to pathologists, he's realizing that his best mates might not be entirely kosher and something far more sinister might have happened in that house than he could imagine. But what, what I liked about that is, you know, he, he was obviously struggling with PTSD after kind of trying to be, you know, Fireman Sam and yeah. jump into the flames and rescue his mates and extreme anxiety, as you would imagine. Uh, but then he had the added thing of like that kind of stomach dropping feeling when you know you or your mates or whoever that is close to you has done something terrible. And I kind of quite appreciated that. I think on the whole, I think it was actually really good. And it's only a four-part series, so I'm expecting this to be quite a a fast-paced, twisty and turny. Lots of red herrings. So I still think at the moment Kate is being presented as, oh, she had mental health problems. That means she must be... And I don't... I think mental health is often used as a flaw in someone's character. Yeah. So I'm yeah. expecting the whole Kate being on antidepressants and whatnot to be a bit of a red herring. One of the daughters had a disability, didn't she? And right. it was, it yeah, was yeah. partly sort of based around that as well. Mm. No, I think it's it's a really well-constructed uh, first hour. I can't speak to the rest of it, but I'll certainly be watching the rest of it. Also, we should clear up, he wasn't Fireman Sam in that scenario because Fireman Sam lives in a tight-knit Welsh community. In this oh, I see. Tight-knit Scottish community. <laughs> so yeah. they're, they're quite different. Isn't it Fireman <laughs> Samantha now, anyway? So wasn't <laughs> yeah, there probably. a whole sort of big hoo-ha? Yeah. Luke, you, you did ask... Um, people what they thought of it as well didn't you on i did it was mostly mostly um good responses and people really surprised by it and happy with it i do think now this is just the old me it did surprise me because it went down so well in the screening room and then i saw that they were putting it on a friday night and i thought Mm. what an odd choice but is that just me thinking with my old TV hat on. So it was weird, Paul, when you saw um, it. A tiny, tiny bit. It had a sort of landmark nine o'clock Sunday, so everyone would be talking about yeah. it at work next day, written all over it. And I did see some social reaction, for what it's worth, uh, with a few people kind of saying, bloody hell, just come back my first week at work uh, after the Christmas break, and I put my feet up, you know, ready to watch this new David Tennant drama. And uh, I think they, they needed a stiff drink afterwards. So, yeah. I don't know. Um, who knows how schedulers work? It's a dark no, one. No it's idea. odd for Channel 4 because you equate Friday night with sort of comedy, don't you? I know it's BBC and ITV. And, yeah. yeah. I, I enjoyed this. Or en- I don't know enjoyed, but this response from Flick Everett to your tweet where she said, brilliant, but much more tra- traumatic than I expected, partly because I was once rescued from a house fire. <laughs> Wow. Maybe not the best thing to watch on a Friday. Well, it's, in some ways, that's a compliment, right? Because um, in a weird sort of way, obviously, Flick there um, had a horrible 
experience and a very harrowing and traumatic one. But it just goes to show that, you know, perhaps she's speak. I don't want to speak for her, but perhaps she's saying that it was quite authentic and mm. uh, it was, you know, something quite, I wouldn't say triggering, but you know what I mean? It kind of brought back some horrid memories there. Um, I just, I just, even though it was a thriller and thrillers, and we were talking about Giri Hadji, and that was, as I say, that was like a, a graphic novel brought to life, you know, mm. whereas this one felt kind of much more authentic in terms of human relationships and reactions to trauma. It was far more relatable and and scary relatable, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. So the other one, the other big crime drama, because we decided not to do Vera Grantchester, Death in Paradise. Sorry. Tyler um, Witness. <laughs> we decided not to do I mean, just quickly, Paul, because you are oh. a connoisseur, how do you feel about these big, big ratings winners that come back every January, specifically Vera... Death in Paradise, Silent Witness, they are January main staples, they do big numbers. How do you feel about them as a, as a crime drama fan? Um, I've got a lot of time for Vera because I really like Brenda Blethyn and I like really like Anne Cleves, whose novels the, the series is based on. Uh, I don't particularly watch it, it's not quite my thing, but I will dip in and out for, uh, sometime. I've got no problem with that at all. I think it's a quality show. Silent Witness are fine. Uh, the only real thing that I don't like, I, I would say specifically i do not like is death in paradise it just seems to me to be an extended lilt advert <laughs> with a with a kind of a crime but then again i do understand why people I... really like it because I'm, I'm sure if you said any to anyone do you love death in paradise um they'll say no but it's a really easy watch or as much as yeah. crime drama can be and of course yeah. The thing with, with Death in Paradise, it works on two levels. The fact that it is, you know, presenting you with sunshine on a cold, wet, miserable Thursday night in the middle of mm. January. But also, it's got that kind of Agatha Christie whodunit mm. element to it, where it's it's all about the puzzle. And it's something that you can kind of follow quite easily. There's Everything's wrapped up the end in a very sort of... Poirot style kind of get all the the lead, you know the suspects together and do a big reveal. So I, I do respect it because to come up with those sort of cases every single week and for like nine series or however many series it is, you know you've got to respect that. It's not for me particularly, but I can kind of understand why people really really like it. If I knew that that many murders were happening on the island. I don't think I'd visit for a holiday. But it's like midsummer, isn't it, and things yeah. like that, you know. Property prices are all over the place there. A lot <laughs> of empty homes on midsummer, I'd imagine, that are just up for sale all the time. Load of I, I would like I would like almost like a mockumentary on the economic impact of all murders on on the midsummer region, and going <laughs> going around seeing all these empty cottages and all these frightened people, like kind of quickly and rapidly packing up their cars and <laughs> leaving the villages. Or like I think something Oxford in that sure. as well, in all the more sort of yeah, you know, yeah. interpretations, what with Lewis and Endeavour and things like that. You know, I don't know how many commissioning editors listen to the podcast, but we've all now got that and and the postman uh, slow TV. The last thing. post. Whichever you fancy commissioning is fine by us. Um, so the other one is on ITV. It started on Wednesday. It's a true crime as opposed to Deadwater Fell, which was fiction. This is Hoyt House Farm, uh, based on, as I say, true events from the 80s. Matt, do you want to set this up a little bit and then we can talk about it? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Off you, you pop, you put, then. You put me on the, on the sort of the hoof I sometimes. Just, I just this... felt like you hadn't said enough <laughs> and I wanted to give you your moment in the spotlight. So this is a new six-part drama fictionalisation of the murders of the Bamba family in the sort of titular White House farm in the mid-80s. The story goes that it was Jeremy Bamba, the younger brother, who rung the police and said, my sister again with mental health difficulties, going back to that being the sort of plot point here, has gone berserk, has shot um, our parents, her children and then herself in what was sort of a, a pretty open and shut case as far as the police believed. But then we've got little inconsistencies that are brought up by um, the police officer played by uh, Mark Addy. It's odd because they both got surnames of Jones. Stephen Graham's character, who's the DCI, wants this just to be 
over and done with, murder-suicide, it's all in the press. We want to sort of open and shut it as, as quickly as possible. And I'm guessing it's going to be the the sort of conflict between these two, because it's very much a, this is based on real-life events, but we've mm-hmm. created characters for fictional purposes. It is a story that a lot of people know. You know, it's it's recent history. You know, it's one of those, will they be able to stretch the story out over over six episodes? Yeah, that's my thing. And also... I've liked a lot of, of lot of true crime stories. The Moore side was a particular favourite. Appropriate Adult was really good. But I've struggled with the recent ones. I didn't continue with a confession because I knew the story and I just didn't find the retelling of it that compelling. And I have to be honest here, I might be doing a Giri Hadji and Paul might tell me next time he's on that it's wonderful. But I found this really slow. I found a lot of the characters quite dull and I didn't really care about them or know who they were and also some of the performances were really surprisingly wooden and the Welsh accent really trips up some of our best performers, we had Sarah Lancashire struggle with it in the accident last year and now Stephen Graham can't do it, it just it seems to be the accent that everybody struggles with and that really took me out of it and I just struggled to connect to the world and that shouldn't be the case for a, a story that as you say is recent history is in people's minds as a thing that happened, and yet it didn't have the authenticity that I felt Deadwater Fell had. And I did read your your review, Paul, and you were kinder on it, and I'm not really perhaps getting my point across well, but I just didn't feel connected to it in the same way, even though this did happen, this this was a true life story. Yeah, I, I, I've got a tricky relationship with true crime adaptations i often think well what's the point it feels voyeuristic you're making something out of a case that happened to people and you know often in 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 drama adaptations characters are often changed events are changed to fit Mm. tv format the the narrative that works sometimes characters are completely made up there was a show on last year on alibi called uh, this is the night which talked about the black dahlia murder and the lead character in that was completely made up. Yes, all this sort of stuff happened in the 50s and 60s. But my point is, with true crime, it's never a true adaptation. No, because it can't ever be, can it? Can't ever be. So I always think, well, what's, what is the point of these true crime adaptations? Just make a really good documentary uh, to tell the story straight. I actually did like A Confession because um, it it provided an angle of the story or several angles actually of the story um, that I had not heard before. And I think that's the key thing with true crime ad- adaptations. As long as they're providing an interesting element to the investigation that we didn't really know about at the time, then I think that's entirely justifiable. I think what, it's also key with these true crime adaptations is is that there has to be some distance between the present day and uh, for when these crimes actually happen. I found our confession and even Manhunt perhaps a little bit too close to the present day. So, I, you know, you, you read stories about relatives just hating them because it dredged up all kinds of horrible memories. Whereas this one happened in the 80s so you could argue that um there was just about the right amount of time between then and now um it was kind of long enough the amount of time was long enough for people to kind of oh yeah i remember that but i don't remember what happened you know sounds a bit potential but i love the way it looked it had this kind of bleached out sunny feel to it where it felt like the 80s because when I remember growing up in the 80s every day was sunny do you know what I mean it's that childhood mm-hmm. thing yeah. you think yeah. that's so like look- idyllic yeah. yeah idyllic kind of bleached out slightly hazy kind of feel color palette to it yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I thought all the cast were good Freddie Mills is uh, that's his name isn't it Freddie Mills Freddie Fox oh, Freddie Fox why do I think Freddie Mills? He was a boxer. Anyway, Freddie old Foxy was really good as uh, Jeremy Bamber because obviously we all... The, the other thing with true crime is um, we all know what's going to happen pretty yeah. much. So the, the, the challenges for the, the person who's written this is to hold our attention sufficiently even though 
we know what's going to happen. So I do wonder how they're going to string it out. But, but you, then... you, you shouldn't and can't compare the two because although they're, they're dramas, they're very different genres. But do you yeah. feel like this set up the world as well as Deadwater found it? Because that's what I struggled with. It didn't feel like an authentic world. The characters felt a bit paper thin. You know, you had like some pretty major names playing... Uh, is it Neville Bamba and his wife? Is it Amanda Burton and Nicholas Farrell? Two pretty yeah, well known actors. Two there. big faces, yeah. And then suddenly, you know, this is not a spoiler in, in, in any way, shape, or form, because obviously this happened. They were found shot within minutes almost of, of them being on screen. So I do agree, it didn't perhaps have that kind of impact because it was all over too quickly, and perhaps they didn't spend as much time on the farm. Again, I'm going back no, to the No, I, I didn't feel like I... <laughs> everything comes back. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The words were coming with you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, but I, I didn't know who these people were, and then all of a sudden I was in the middle of a mystery that I wasn't really sure what the mystery was because I didn't know who yeah. the people were I was supposed to be looking out for. I, That's I, I sort of liked how you... It, made you go well catch up sort of thing you know you didn't quite know who everyone was you had to piece it together yourself rather than the drama holding your hand and i quite like that element of it and i like you know that was her ex-husband and and it was his housewarming and then she's what's my brother doing here and by and by you sort of piece things together i i get what you're saying you didn't maybe spend enough time with the parents before obviously this tragedy happened and i'm guessing we're probably going to get flashbacks aren't we yeah, yeah. That was yeah, yeah. Out. it's pretty i mean there were some pretty uh complicated family dynamics within the bamba family there with obviously sheila's mental health problems and uh the clashes because the you know the parents are quite religious and there was obviously clashes there um between them and the kids and i i kind of thought, oh, maybe we could learn a little bit more about that family dynamic. But I, I think you're right, Matt. I think there will be some flashbacks uh, because why hire Nicholas Farron and Amanda Burton if you're not going to use them? It was really interesting, actually. Again, just going, looking at the social reaction, a lot of my prime novelist friends absolutely loved it. Like, they were, oh, they were okay. and this is, like, really creepy and nightmarish. However, I have to agree with Luke. Um, I do think that... True crime adaptations, there really is a fine line between success and failure in them. Yeah. Actually finer than fiction because you can kind of get away with anything in fiction because it's fiction, right? Mm. Um, this is based on a true story. And as soon as Stephen Graham opened his mouth <laughs> as a Welsh police officer, I didn't know whether to laugh or whether we, we was... Whether I don't know what it was. I, I'd been primed for that because I saw him on Graham Norton and, and it was just like... I'd, I'd sort of gone, no, you're not really pulling it off, mate. That's his Achilles heel. We found it. The Welsh and, accents. The well, the same with Mark Addy. He was, he was a gruff northerner. And, you know, his kind of Essex accent was slipping and sliding all over. <laughs> I, I liked him in this, though. I thought he was, for me, the best element is sort of this schlubby sort of copper. Yeah. He did a similar role in, was it um, Red Riding about 10 years yes. ago? Yes, he was brilliant in that. He, he was a similar that. role, and I'm, I'm a f- he's going to be the sort of champion of this, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. He's the guy that's going to... Case. I said to people on the internet, I said... So this, <laughs> people I on the internet. I, said to people. I went a bit Tommy Cooper, didn't I? I said, <laughs> but um, people who expressed like the fact that they absolutely loved it and thought it was creepy, I kind of replied yeah. to them and said, "But the accents, though, 
didn't that not ruin it for you? And they said, no, I didn't notice them. Or I think they were too into it that they didn't really care. Uh, but something honest, like I, did, that I didn't notice the Mark Addy thing. You know, right, the okay. Stephen Graham, the Welsh accent. Oh, yeah. is it, could they not have cast a Welsh actor to play <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's, that's always the question. Why did they just not cast uh, a Welsh actor or even an Essex or a Cockney mm. actor for Mark Addy's character? Yeah, it, it stood because out like a sore thumb. People know people will watch it because Stephen Graham is in it, and yeah. you know, I th- I assume yeah, that's the reason. Big, he's a big man, and he's fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but as I say, it really stood out like a sore thumb. And in a true crime drama, when you're striving for authenticity, you want to tell these people's these poor victims' stories as in the best and most uh, authentic way that you can. To suddenly come out and hear this guy so, all right, boy, how's it going? All right. <laughs> Where is that? Is that like Wales or Liverpool or Calcutta? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> it was walking know. a very fine line. I'm going to carry on with it, um, but it's going to be hard for me to get past. But I think, you know, as Matt said, I think Mark Addy is going to be the one. And I would expect, actually, Stephen Graham not to be in this that, that much. And I'm expecting it. No hell of a lot of flashbacks in this series so i would i'm assuming that stephen graham's not going to be in it that much so therefore you know i can kind of sit back and enjoy it a little bit more yeah i mean i probably won't continue because i'm i'm a bit odd because initially when deadwater fell i was like oh it's a shame it's only four episodes but obviously that's how many episodes that takes to tell that specific story and my other worry with this is like you said at the start can they sustain six compelling mm. episodes with this story? I really wonder. Because I was saying to someone at work about this that they enjoyed it, and I said, well, I don't know if they're going to sort of be able to sustain it over six. And she was like, is it six episodes? You know, you know, you already know who's done it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the, the ones you mentioned, the true crime dramas you mentioned, liking appropriate adult more side, they had a different slant to... You know, cases you knew but told from different perspectives. Where, Absolutely, as yeah. the ones that ITV have done, you know, Manhunt, A Confession, and now this, which you know seems to be their new, you know, wheelhouse of doing these these true life dramas. You know, they're very straight. They're very. This is what happened, and we're going from A to B to C, sort of thing. Will you watch it then? Will you continue watching? I- I don't know. I, I, it didn't compel me enough, and I think it's six episodes is a, is a big commitment. And you know, we're at that time of the year at the moment where there is a lot of stuff to watch. So possibly not. I don't know. Dead Waterfell will be the priority of these two dramas. Well, you can carry on reading uh, Paul's thoughts on uh, on the website. It is thekillingtimestv.wordpress.com. Thank you ever so much, Paul, for your insight. And uh, ruining Stephen Graham for, <laughs> <laughs> and also Wurzel Gummidge as well. I like how everything's all come full circle. Absolutely, I'm going to be looking out now on the next episode of White House Farm. Um, I kept calling it White Horse Farm. <laughs> My brain's all over the shop. I've eaten <laughs> too. I've drunk too much amaretto over Christmas. And eating too many uh, barrels of chocolate, I think. It's mucking with my head. But, yeah, I'm going to look uh, in future episode at White House Farm in the fields, just in case I can see <laughs> a little straggly arm and a little smile on a scarecrow's face, perhaps, because that would be brilliant. The scarecrow That's... did it. That will be Yeah, the scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to... I look, do look forward to various spin-off episodes of Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> I think it should be written in every single program's contract that there should be shot of Wurzel Gummidge somewhere in, in there. Just in looking the shady in the corner somewhere. Yeah, it's like someone walks into the pub and there's like Wurzel sitting in the, in the corner there in a bag of pork scratchings and having a pint of beer. Um, I could get, I could get into that. I could get into that definitely. That's the third commission we're looking for now. Oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> If people want to follow you on Twitter and interact with you, how do they do that? Uh, uh, well, they can follow me. Uh, what am I? At son underscore of underscore Ray. No, hold on. 
John, <laughs> I told you my brain's completely shot. <laughs> it's not a good advert for Amaretto at all, is it? Really? No, it's not really. Uh, I should have got the actual. Not, I shouldn't have got the little own do brand. You, do you want me to tell you, Paul? It's Sun <laughs> underscore yeah, of underscore Ray. There you go. There you go. Okay. And, um, we, uh, if you want to follow the Killing Times on the Twitter, it's at Killing Times TV. Brilliant. Thank you so much again. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. It's always a treat to talk to you. You're listening to the Custard TV podcast, the official podcast of thecustardtv.com. So you may remember uh, last year we said we wanted to get you on board with almost like a TV book club. We've called it the Rewind or the Rewatch. The Rewind. Have we got to pay some rights to Craig David though? Certainly after his um, big, big, ben big Ben appearance. You know, yeah, maybe. The idea is that we rewatch a show that either we've both seen or one of us has seen and we find something that's available online on the streamers for you to watch as well. And uh, we did say last year we were going to do Jed Mercurio's Bodies instead, though. Another masterpiece, in my opinion. Uh, Jed Apatow and Paul Feig's Freaks and Geeks, which if you want to watch along with us, you can find it in two places. If you're an Amazon Prime Video subscriber, it's there. If you go on all four, it's one of their US box sets. It's a show that debuted on NBC in 1999. It's a show I have a tiny personal connection with. And it's a show Matt and I have never discussed properly. No. And we wanted to dive into it. So we're going to watch... Do you want to say the first two episodes? Yeah, I think we do. T- if we do two at a time... Two okay. time. So we'll if you want to join, if you want to join us on our journey here, and you've never seen the show either, and you want to give your two pen, if you can do, uh, we're going to watch the first two episodes of Freaks and Geeks, which you can find, as I say, on all four on Amazon Prime Video, and we're going to discuss them next week. And we'd love your insight as well. You can contact us in the Custard TV Podcast Twitter feed, which is at Custard TV Pod. You can email CustardTVReviews at gmail.com or you can contact myself at Luke Custard TV and leave your feedback on Freaks and Geeks. It's possible it's a show you've never even heard of, but we recommend it. Give it a watch. The first two episodes will be discussed next week. Otherwise, on the agenda, two shows that we have championed a lot, uh, ITV's Cold Feet and BBC Two's uh, FX Acquisition, Better Things. What do you want to start with out of those two? Should we do better things? You know what? I realised because I saw this episode a while back and I rewatched it. This you, you did it at US pace. Yes, I did, and I will always with, with this show. And I realised it's not a show I laugh at out loud, no. but it's a show I smile at. Continue. I could feel myself mm. smiling at it, watching it. And so this is Pamela Adlon's semi-autobiographical comedy about a, a mother who's an actress in the US. She does basic basic actress work. She was a star in her teens, and she does voiceovers for cartoons. And it's about her raising her three teenage daughters uh, in LA and all the upheaval of that. And then she's got a mother who lives next door, played excellently by Celia Imri. Celia Imri. And I, I always forget that every time she pops up, I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, of course, Celia Imri's in this. This first episode saw Sam take eldest daughter Max to Chicago where she's going to be studying for college it's about her leaving home for the first time and what that's like and going to college she wants like this big this is us moment of saying goodbye that she kind of gets and it's it's a show not about a lot of things but it's really sweet and genuine there's a great sequence on the aircraft on the way back that I loved it's just one of my favourite shows. I love the way it's sort of very, almost like dreamlike, some of the cinematography. Mm. And it, mm. there's not a lot of exposition in it. You know, you're just plunged into these scenes. It's not like, oh, I've got to go to college tomorrow. And then we're yeah. watching them on the way to, you know. We should say all three seasons are on the iPlayer still. So if you've not seen a single second of this, you can watch all three seasons. Yeah, I've watched four so far. This sort of, I suppose, through storyline this time is that Sam is is filming a like a monster zombie blockbuster with one of your old teachers, Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Yeah, um, Jones. 
and Chris Marshall, oddly. Yes, <laughs> oddly. Yeah, it's weird how just random <laughs> British actors turn up in better yeah, things. Like Lucy Davis is in it as well, isn't she? And and I just like the different. You know, she's got this sort of network of different friends who will pop up from time to time. It's sort of almost like a bourgeoisie type world, mm. but, but it never one, feels. No, one that you can't get can't into it. It's it not does. exclusive. Yeah, I think that's down to the dialogue with Pat, Pat Miller and Lon writes most of this. She's directed most of it as well. It's very personal to her, isn't it? Yeah, and there's a, there's some great stuff with Frankie later on. I, when you get there, we'll have to discuss it because that's really good. We know that Series 4 is coming in March in the US and I'm already chomping at the bit to see it's just I, I suppose the big thing with this was it was originally created by louis ck wasn't it and, there and was now something... it's her baby completely yeah and you there is a bit of a shift you do feel like things like she's got a handle in like the stuff with her dad uh, mm. that is a lot of the i find that a bit strange if i'm honest seeing it is, it her, is strange. her dad from time to time i like when she's sort of a bit sort of hyperactive mum there's the stuff with Duke's the youngest child, isn't she? Yeah. With the thing at her school and doing all the different experiments and Love getting that increasingly annoyed with the uh, <laughs> with the other parents and things <laughs> like that. And bits where she's sort of snapping at Chris Marshall for things as well. And yeah. it's it's really I, I just I really like it's one of those that I can put on and chill out to unlike yeah. the last two shows we've just discussed i mean these the episodes are about 20 25 minutes each yeah so it's not a big time commitment i say i just smile throughout yeah, it just yeah just makes me happy and very few and shows it's not like they really. shy away from like the issues like for example the celia Rimmery character is losing you know losing her grip more and more you know, on reality, there's quite a harsh conversation that Sam's brother, played by Kevin Pollock, has mm. with her. Um, I, I, yeah, it's just a really enjoyable show. I would recommend if you want something just to relax to. Mm. And I think BBC Two have done really well in terms of acquiring these shows. But as you keep saying, there's not a great deal of promotion. I've noticed now. I've never seen that at all. I, I've noticed now that they are plugging Pose a lot more when you turn on the iPlayer. These advert before you show is for me definitely is almost pose but i don't know if that's tailored towards me because i've watched pose on the like, player well, they wouldn't think they'd they'd advertise something yeah. to you you'd already seen so well you, you don't know do you but pose is the one that they seem to be sort of getting behind but things like this i mean as you and as you mentioned obviously you know this is sort of a year behind almost when it, sh- it aired last spring i think in the states yeah sort of march uh, time yeah, but no, really, get get love involved. It. Absolutely get involved. love it. Better things, or if you want to record it and watch it weekly, it's your decision. Tuesdays at 10 is where yeah, you Yeah, get that VHS in, make sure it's a long yeah. play, though. Make sure you record it on long play, yeah. 2.40. <laughs> get, okay. get the whole series on the one take. <laughs> yeah, and don't have to cut out the adverts or anything, that's good. I did that for so many years, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, one that you would have to cut the adverts out of, though, is ITV's Cold Feet, which returns to its. I bet you had this on VHS series. back in the day, didn't I you? I did do, yeah. Cold Feet is back for its ninth series on Monday. This is the Mike Bullen created relationship drama starring James Nesbitt, Robert Bathurst, Faye Ripley, John Thompson, and Hermione Norris. Well Last series saw Adam, James Nesbitt, kind of fall slightly in love with Karen. Hermione Norris, they've been friends since the 90s, they've been through ups and downs, but they've never really had a lot of on-screen time as the two characters, and they sort of have found this love that feels, on one hand, really surprising, if you'd watch the original show, but strangely normal and authentic and believable in this new incarnation of the series, Things get more complicated this time around with the friends trying to wrap their heads around this new relationship. There's Jenny who has gotten over the breast cancer, which was a big theme last year, but is still trying to struggle with what, you know... Yeah, what be, happens be, next, what, isn't it? What do you do of, next yeah. when you've beaten cancer? Her hair's growing back. This is a really emotive scene where she sits at her dressing table and takes her wig off and uh, you see the effects of the chemo. Uh, then there's David, who is struggling to come to terms with Adam and Karen's relationship, but is doing better. He's not homeless anymore. 
He's working in the cafe. He seems more at peace with himself. And living above the cafe. And living above the, the cafe. He seems more at peace with himself. And even his relationship with Pe- Jenny and Pete, which has been rocky over the course of the entire series, they've sort of come to his rescues and give him home-cooked meals once a week. I said to Matt before we started, it's kind of a hard show to review because it's just the same good show, strong performances... Funny when it needs uh, to be, moving when it needs to be. My my question, I've got a couple because this is one of your favourites, or it was the the sort of original, original incarnation. Yeah. Did you think when they brought it back that it would run as long as it has? Because it's you know if it yeah, does another series, no real... it will be as lo- it will have run for as long as the original. The final series of Cold Feet ended so brilliantly that I think whatever they do to end it is going to feel like a bit of a damp squib. And I don't have the same affinity with it that I had. But Why, it's still is that? A... Why is that? Uh, I suppose it feels a bit heightened now. Okay. I mean, I think as it's gone on, they've got to deal with sort of slightly different issues. It's odd that Pete and Jenny, I think, have had the best storylines since yeah, the, the revival the you know we had the depression storyline with pete and, and last series jenny's cancer i mean i love that scene between pete and the and the daughter there's scene where she's told her mum she wished she died and then she regrets it and then he starts crying you know have a go at me instead and i thought that was brilliantly done i mm. like as well i think and they did this in the last series a little bit before Adam and Karen got together. They're trying to do the separation of the character of Adam to the actor James Nesbitt because James Nesbitt is so, so charming. But Adam's got this sort of, certainly the older Adam, you know, he's trying to hang on to that youth, which I think is a good thing about having that comparison to the original series. You've seen him as a charming young man, but, you know, the jokes he had aren't working as well as we saw this first episode you know he's got you know he's he's under caution at work he, you know he could have lost his job over some inappropriate jokes and things like that and i think it shows the wider sort of changing in attitude over the last 20 yeah. years no well. I'd, I'd and agree i, I like that. the way that my it's mike bullen isn't it yeah um worked in the changing landscape and how the characters in their 40s and 50s are struggling to adapt. You know, Robert Bathurst's character, David, has often been sort of like the fool of the group. But he, you know, Adam, who's always been seen as the cool, calm, collected person, he's sort of seeing himself in the deep end as well. And and I like those scenes with the boss sort of going, you know, it is a different world now. You can't say this, you know. It's not as sort of male-centric a workplace as as, as the world used to be. And I, I think I like the, doing the issue stories, but giving them to characters that we have known yeah. for years and uh, years. And they don't beat you over the head no. with them. Either, no, you have to you... sort of think about it. And again, this is a really good... You know, you, we were talking with Paul about Death in Paradise. This is something where you can get home after work on a Monday and just go, you know, you know, you know these characters... You can yeah. spend time with them. You know, this is going to be another series that we enjoy, I'm sure. One thing I didn't like so much is the end of the episode saw Karen and Adam possibly moving in together and then the kids all saying, you know, I'm taking a break, I'm doing it. And I don't like the sort of convoluted relationship that the kids are together, you know, so yeah. Adam's son is with Olivia. I mean, I thought all the abortion stuff in Series 7 was really well handled. But I yeah. just think that it makes the world a bit more insular because they're all connected. Mm. And that is a less appealing part I, of it for me. It's a t- tiny like, gripe. They're minor gripes. Then, you know, it's a hard show but to pick I, up I think, you know, there seem to be sort of minimal new characters here apart from, you know, David's boss slash love interest, yeah. Mary. Like in the past, we struggled with Leanne Best and Siobhan Finneran and yeah. um, Art Malik and people like that coming into I, the I think they the struggle. Group. What they struggle with is widening the world. Mm. I notice, particularly watching this one, everyone's connected, and so there isn't the white. It's not as even as if they pop and and see other people. Really, it's quite an insular thing, but it's a minor gripe. It's I not think a, the the. Um, Exception to that rule is the character played by the guy who was in Humans. He was the other cancer pa- patient. That was with, brilliant. And, and actually, I remember really enjoying the relationship early on with James Bolam and John Thompson. Yes. In the 
early returners. Brilliant, just mm. those two together. But over the course of this new run, they haven't really widened the world out. I enough. suppose, I mean, we'll sort of like the love interest they've brought in mm. mainly, you know, trying to put someone else in this in this new environment, isn't it? Yeah. And like I say, it's a minor gripe because it's a show I enjoy and look forward to every week. It's Cold Feet. It is Mondays on ITV at nine o'clock. Six episodes this time. And the cast, who are, who are, you can read my chat with each and every one of them on the website now, com. They're sort of ambivalent about the 10th series. They say, if it happens, it happens. But if this is the end, at the end of this one, then uh, it could well be. Because ITV is all about how well it does on social media, how well it does in the ratings. And I think it's been steady. And I think it has found a new audience. But it's mm. just whether... I think the the consensus was, seemed to be they would do it if it was commissioned. Yeah. Do you want to go to social media to to end bookend with a bit of David Tennant talk? We asked on the old socials uh, what your favourite David Tennant performance was. Luke, what's yours? I've got, am I allowed to? Yeah, go on. I really love. He did a drama which has never been shown more than once and is not available to watch anywhere. And somebody mentioned it before me, so I'm going to get mm, it in. I know that. It's called, it's called Recovery, and he plays a guy who is hit by a bus, um, and it's about his recovery with a severe brain injury. He's married to Sarah Parrish. It's a really moving performance. And then the second one is his narration on W1A. I think he does that really well. I think you forget it's David Tennant. And it really makes me laugh, and he's that, really good. That was going that. to be mine as well, damn you! Oh, damn me! <laughs> that was like I was going to go. I was going to be all clever and go. Well, you know. <laughs> what? For me, he adds something to that show, which if he didn't deliver that narration, it may not be. It may not as work. Good. Basically, what you're saying is that you only like him on screen when he's with Sarah Parrish in some form of that. No, because the second, the third series of Broadchurch wouldn't work. Was she in that? Yeah, she was. Um, oh, yeah, she was, wasn't Julie she? Julie Hesmantol's best mate. Yeah. yeah. I suppose going back to 2012 as well, that was his original sort oh, of Oh, that thing. is you being clever. That's yeah, that was. I was going to do 2012 and W1A as well, but. Actually, the the sort of abiding uh, opinion through the ones we got in was actually uh, Blackpool. A lot of people seem to. I did love Blackpool. Um, so so I'll start with Alex from the EastEnders Weekly Podcast, who says I've always had a soft spot for his performance in Blackpool when he played a singing detective investigating a murder, but falls in love Sarah with the. Sarah Parrish again. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. But falls in love with the wife of the man under suspicion played, of the death. Played by Sarah Parrish. British Glee before Glee was Glee. If he turns up in bloody Bancroft now, you. <laughs> um, Michael Lee agrees uh, with Blackpool. The first time I ever saw him, I think it will forever be my favourite show because I love that show. Erin um, says possibly Broadchurch. I think because how subtle the performance was. I think that's to begin with. Series one Broadchurch would be up there. Yeah. Yeah. He often plays bold and charismatic characters, and Hardy is the complete opposite of this. He underplays the role, which is why it's so effective, but the character has so many layers. Also, Entertainment Talk says, can't pick a best performance. He's only ever been phenomenal. But gun to my head, maybe Kilgrave. Is that Jessica Jones? That's Jessica Jones. Yeah. yeah. Fifi says, he'll always be my Doctor Who. Really captured the manic personalities. Um, and this was the the lady who also says Recovery, 2007, yeah. with Sarah Parrish, yeah. was one of my favourite standalone yeah. drums he's done. Mo Walker says his knee-jerk response would be um, the 10th Doctor. However, the yeah. tenant role that stayed with him over the years was his performance as Casanova from 2005. Oh, Russell T. Davis. Russell T. Davis as well. Laura Kay says, I really like the eating and singing, dancing and romancing uh, Detective Inspector Peter Carlyle in Blackpool. Another one for Blackpool, Zwicky Sky says, Blackpool I... is my I... favourite, playing both good cop and bad cop. And she also mentions, and this is one I'd forgotten, the, as the perfect driving instructor in Learners 
Finally, Laura Frechetti says is another vote for recovery, Alan Hamilton. And also one I might pick as well, Crowley in Good Omens. He was a little bit scenery chewing, but in a good way. He did a bit like Ted Danson does in The Good Place, um, you know, as this sort of larger-than-life sort of demon who becomes good. I thought his his chemistry with Michael Sheen was very good in, in, in Good Omens. So as you stole uh, one from me, that, that would be my second choice. Okay, fair enough. Do subscribe to this podcast the custom tv podcast rate, on your rate, review and subscribe please. yeah on your um podcast app of choice please give us a review we haven't had enough of them and it just helps raise the awareness that we're here and we exist so please uh, get give us a, a review and tell people that we're talking TV and, and uh, we're about at Custard TV Pod on Twitter, at Matt's TV Bites for Matt and at Luke Custard TV for me. Freaks and Geeks, next week we're going to be uh, doing the first rewind. So, so I'll, I'll get you to watch Celebrity Coach Trip. How's that? <laughs> no, we don't need to do that. With um, um, Amy and Jonathan Tapper from uh, Gogglebox <laughs> are on this, you know, this series. Let's say goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realize that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.